it is sure good to see everyone this evening. I'd like to also uh, uh, reiterate uh, Joseph's welcome to our visitors. Thank you so much for, for uh, coming out this evening. This lesson that we're going to review tonight is actually a part two. Um, it, the first part occurred back in February last year, so I don't expect you all to remember what it was about, but it was discussing lessons that we should be discussing with our children. It was actually the first night or the first Sunday morning and evening service that Joseph and Jasmine were with us. And they listened to those lessons and not knowing everything yet, they didn't run away. They kept coming back and learning more and they've had a hunger for the Lord and y'all have been such encouragement to us over the uh, the time that you've been with us and we're so thankful and we want to continue growing and i was thinking about joseph and jasmine and the 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 pregnancy that is ongoing and it is always good for us to remember as parents our responsibility um y'all are about to begin your journey and some of us need to be reminded along our journey uh what lessons we are to uh be focusing on with our children and in this lesson that occurred back in February, we looked at a handful of scriptures and topics. We're going to quickly go through those, but we started this entire discussion. We started the entire discussion asking a question. Who is training our children? Either we can be actively engaged in that process or Satan will be. God can be at the center of these lessons, or Satan can make sure they're influenced in a variety of different ways. And we looked at some statistics, and we can see what is happening in society. We can look around at the churches of Christ, those that have dedicated themselves to following Christ's footsteps, and we can see that we can be doing a better job. We need to be reminded of this. And so first we looked at the idea that God is our creator. We looked at a handful of scriptures to understand how critical it is for us that God started and ended the creation week, if you will. Six literal 24-hour days with the same statement. God created the heavens and the earth. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, so I'm not going to go into too much more detail. Second, we looked at we must listen and obey to all of God's commands. We looked at a variety of passages here, too, that stated that God's word is a lamp unto our feet, a light to our path, and that we are not to direct our own paths. Think about that. Think about how much money is invested in this country alone at man's advice to parents in raising the children or to influence the children in how they should be and how they should act. God's word is the foundation that we should be committed to and focused on. We looked at in that series, God is more important than family. This is a hard lesson for so many people. See, the world's perspective is to raise the relationship of flesh and blood above that 
what God says. This was such a big issue that here in Luke chapter 12, Jesus, while on earth, makes it extraordinarily clear that the relationship that matters most is that, sorry, of spiritual focus. We also went on, now I'm split on my slides. Uh, we then went on to look at this idea that God designed for a man and a woman to be joined in marriage. During this topic, we looked at a variety of thoughts that not only did we consider God's design for marriage, we reviewed that homosexuality is not authorized by God, it is condemned, and that divorce is hated by God. We need to be teaching these principles and reminding ourselves what God's word says. We looked at the topic of modesty, something that gets so confused throughout the entire Bible. God has had a standard of nakedness. And if we reveal that nakedness, we are not right with God. But we saw how in the New Testament, the word modesty adds on to that idea of nakedness and the covering of it and says that we must be looking at the inward person as well. Of, and that inward person must be of good character, of godliness and purity. It did not remove the idea of nakedness. It required a more stringent standard to be applied. We looked at the fact that God demands abstinence from alcohol. When God demanded sobriety, the rest is taken care of. We need to be mindful of God's wisdom and not our own. There are no loopholes in this, and we are to be free from intoxication. And lastly, we looked at the idea that God wants us, demands us, to be a peculiar people. Just a few lessons ago, Jacob brought us a, a more broader focus on this idea of being peculiar, and that is we need to be telling our kids, we need to be implementing it in our lives, that we do not fit into this world. If we start feeling comfortable, that's when we have a problem. Our life should not be defined by social cliques and clubs that we are connected with. But are we following the Word of God? And we'll discuss this more again tonight. I want us this evening to have the part two to this discussion. We're going to add an additional five ideas and items. This is not an exhaustive list. And um, I'm sure if you went back on this website or in the back of your memory, for most of these you will have seen before. Um, there may be one that's a little unique. I actually don't remember ever hearing a lesson on one of the ones we're going to talk about tonight. Um, but again, this is a reminder of our important responsibility that is given to us. Do we, we cannot forget that it is not in man to direct our steps. Parents, we must look to God in how we raise our children. And it is our responsibility that our children are not looking to us or some other man. We are to raise them to value their relationship with God. This is important. Our children are to value the relationship with God more than they value us as their parents. 
We have just a short time with our children. They will have a responsibility to God regardless of our lives, regardless of how long we're on this earth, regardless of the life we live. And that's not easy for people. They want to interject themselves deeply and emotionally into this. And we have a, a and not recognize that we are just stewards. Our children do not belong to us. They belong to God. That's why these lessons are so important to remind us that our kids need to understand and be grounded in the foundation of God's word. First tonight, let's look at the idea. Um, we are hosting a community Bible study uh, in a couple weeks, and we're going to be focusing on God and creation. And that's an important topic. There is so much effort and energy attacking Genesis 1 through 11. If you listen to any TV show, documentary, film that is produced by the world, they are going to attack the idea that God is our creator, that the flood was not a global catastrophic event, and that everything occurs that we see by naturalistic causes. So the first idea we're going to examine tonight is that the flood was global and catastrophic. We went uh, to the Grand Canyon not that long ago. Uh, this was taken from a helicopter, and it was a stunning, a stunning view. As you look at this picture, I'd like you to look at a couple of things. The first, I did not mean to hit that. See if we can get back. There we go. So the first is notice these very straight lines that occur. They occur all throughout this picture. Very straight. What is so fascinating about this is the Grand Canyon demonstrates a variety of different principles for us. The first is that there was a catastrophic past. And the Bible has something to say about that past. It also says that these layers happened very quickly to be such le so level as you see throughout here. And it may surprise you that some of these levels extend beyond the North American continent. They extend beyond the South American continent. You can find some of these levels in Africa, Europe, and Asia, almost precisely at the exact same elevation. Something in the past happened at a global catastrophic uh, level. But science would say we must look at all this and come up with a natural explanation. Actually, they have redefined the word science. Science can only look at and evaluate natural causes. They specifically, if you go to the web and you look up various definitions, science is specifically ignoring the supernatural. Why is that? 
they need to they want to take God out of the explanation. Just as a side note before we continue on, there's a new movement that stands in the middle of creation, biblical foundations, and the natural phenomenons and uniformitarianism, and we'll look at a scripture here in a minute that attacks that idea. And that is called in, intelligent design, the ID movement. The ID movement takes a critical departure. They recognize that there is order and that we can study the things that we see, but they do not attribute it to God. They are, they are purposefully and consistently silent on biblical interpretation and connection. They do not look at the first seven days of creation week as a literal 24-hour period. They will look to and try to implement design in a process that can get them there, and they will put aside the scriptures. So if you hear the words intelligent designer, there's a reason they're not specifying God. If you hear the words of natural causes or natural processes, that is a rebranding of evolution and Darwinism. And we need to be mindful of that. And we need to be ready to say, no, it is God our creator that did this and that the, the flood was global. I want us to look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Jacob, not that long ago, did a lesson on uniformitarianism. It was a great lesson. This was our uh, subject text of that. And it teaches an important lesson. It teaches this idea that so many are clinging to to remove God and the supernatural from their explanations, which is uh, a whole lesson in itself on how much inconsistency is involved in that. But that it's basically attacking the idea that just because things occur this way today means, and we should not apply that it has occurred that way throughout history in the past. And Second Peter 3 um, helps us understand that, and we can see Peter attacking this uh, misunderstanding in scriptures. Second Peter 3, 3 through 6. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue, as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Next, I want us to consider a passage in Psalm, chapter 104. When we look at Psalm 104 and we think about the events described in Genesis 7, um, we see a catastrophic event that has occurred in our past, in Earth's past history. Let's read Psalms 104, verses 6 through 9. You covered it with the deep as a gar with a garment. 
The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the voice of your thunder, they hastened away. They went up over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place which you founded for them. You have set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. The world that we see today and the world that existed before the flood are completely different. Land masses moved, oceans became deeper, mountains became higher, and the earth will never be flooded again. We have over 270 stories in different uh, uh, languages and cultures and nationalities around the world that talk about a global catastrophic flood. They are nearly consistent in the details that this transpired and took place. And it's remarkable to read just some of these accounts that have been translated and been collected together. There's also this idea that you can see below the layers, sorry, below the layers that were straight just a moment ago. This isn't another part of the canyon that you start to see lines and shifts and this is called the, the great unconformity. So above this line, you have perfect conformity. Now, there have been events over time and erosion that has transpired. But below this line, you have the great unconformity. It's a little more specific and detailed to see in some parts of the Grand Canyon, where this is this granite baseline layer and you can see it scarred and they've done tremendous amount of research of what this looks like throughout the world we we're not so fortunate to have many grand canyons that expose this level of detail but what you see are these perfect layers above there and they continue on up and what you see is the world before the flood and the world after the flood It's remarkable. God has left us evidences to show. And why is this all important? Why is this idea attacked that the flood was not global, that it was not a catastrophic event? It is attacked because they want to discredit God. They want us to look to natural causes. They don't want us to look at Genesis 1 through 11. But we need to stand strong and firm that God's word is truth. And there is nothing in the Bible that is contradicted by what I will call true science, observational science. The only time that our kids and children will be exposed to this is when theories that are promoted to take away the supernatural are inserted and now we have conflict. And they are worshiping a religion themselves. It is not based on God, it is based on atheism. And we must recognize that and be willing to stand up and defend that this world was created by God. Just like God, when he starts the creation and ends it, God created the heavens and the earth. Next, I want to look at the idea that we need to be reinforcing in our homes that all sin separates us. From God. So many in our world today 
want to rank the severity of sin. Others want to say that some sin is okay because it justifies the means. The ends justify the means. So we're going to look past this issue that is transpiring. It's a sin. It's not right. But the ends are going to be way worth it. So we're going to allow it to pass. Others want to look past sin because of family relationships. But we have to be clear with our children. We have to be extraordinarily clear. All sin separates us from God. This morning we looked at a passage in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. And because we read it this morning, I'm not going to read it. We're just going to highlight a couple things. But notice this. The six things that the Lord take. A proud look. That sin... A proud look, like we looked at this morning in great detail, separates us from God. A lying tongue. What's next to a lying tongue? I'm sorry, we're having issues with my computer. Hands that shed innocent blood. So we've just looked at three of these. A proud look, arrogance... A lying tongue and murder. Which one does God hate more? It says God hates. It's an abomination to him. We should not be in the business of justifying or ranking sin. All of these things. And all of the sins mentioned in scriptures. See, when God gives a command, he's never made it to where we have to figure out what God is thinking should be right or wrong. Never happened. God has always told mankind his expectations for being righteous. He's never made it hard to figure out. He demands obedience. And do not... Rank sins when God does not rank sins. First John 3 verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. God didn't create sin. But sin is the label for breaking God's laws. In Isaiah 59. 1 through 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear, his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear you. Who created this divide? We do. When we sin, regardless of the sin. In Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The consequences of sin are death. We need to be reminded that all sin separates us from God. Remember I said there was one we don't talk a lot about? It would be this next one. Actually, I don't think I've ever heard a lesson on it. 
But as I was going through and thinking about just five topics we could talk about this evening, I think it's important that we do not lose sight of this word lewdness as being wrong. Some translations translate it lasciviousness. This word occurs 23 times in our Bible. At least in the New King James Version, it occurs 23 times. Of those 23 times, 8 times occurs in the New Testament. I've often heard lasciviousness or lewdness in conversations be just another form of lust. Well, 1 Peter 4 and verse 3 tells us that they are two separate things. They can be, they're related, but they're definitely two separate things. 1 Peter 4 3 states, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness or lasciviousness, lust, drunkenness, reveries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Actually, got on to the difference between lewdness and lust because I use, as some of you do, 1 Peter 4, 3 in discussing the uh, the lesson we talked about uh, um, over a year ago that God demands sobriety and abstinence from alcohol. And so I wanted to, as an explanation, because I've had some people look at 1 Peter 4, 3 and say, hey, it's, it's don't get drunk, don't get drunk, don't get drunk. Well, if I can look at lust and lasciviousness or lewdness and I can show that they're related but they're different then we can help set that um, straight and so I went to dictionary.com and to Thayer's to look at definition I think Thayer's does a better job of this Um, but dictionary.com defines it as indecency or obscenity vulgar sexual character or behavior Thayer's uh, goes in a little bit more detail in two different sections of the breakdown here And it defines it as unbridled lust. Well, that gives us this idea. They're not defining the same word with the same word here. It's an unbridled lust. So what does that lead to? Well, excess, that that makes sense. That's what we're looking at here. Licentiousness, lasciviousness, wantonness, outrageousness, shamelessness, insolence, wanton, axor. And so now he goes on and defines a little more detail wanton for us it's not so much a, a word we use today but it has been in the past actual manners as filthy words indecent bodily movements unchaste handling of males and females well just by this word alone and these definitions we can see why this is so critical i mean in the idea of lewdness or lasciviousness being wrong we can understand why dancing is inappropriate but it goes much further than that and as children become older and they think about courting lasciviousness and and or lewdness is is something we need to have grounded in their minds of what god's expectations are for our conduct and how we should live and act um, it is so serious that it is listed in one of the works of the flesh in galatians chapter 5 Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21 states, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness or lasciviousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, 
outburst of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, reveries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a serious sin. And this is a sin that we must be teaching in our homes, that our children understand that their actions and their thoughts must be under control and in guidance with God's word. As we talked about in the first series of this, it is God's word that is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. Next, I'd like us to look at evil companions corrupt good morals. We need to be teaching our children that choosing our friends and those who we hang out with, it really does matter in this life. 1 Corinthians 15.33 helps us see this. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. We need to teach our kids not to think that they are invincible. And while so often we think about this in regards to physical friends, what about other things that have a significant influence? TV, the words and the songs that we hear on the radio, the games that are being played, social media, advertising that we allow into our homes. Saint can use each and every single one of these as a medium to corrupt our minds. It's just as important from the entertainment, so in quotation marks, as it is with the physical friends. We must be thoughtful. And parents, if we just give this lip service and we don't live it, our kids will see right through it. Are we protecting ourselves? Proverbs. We see Proverbs 1 has quite a few places we could have looked at here. And then going into chapter 2 actually as well. But listen to Solomon to his son. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path. For their feet run to evil. And they make haste to shed blood. Surely shedding blood, as we saw just a moment ago, is a form of evil. But think about all the things that could be substituted after the word evil. We must be on guard. The wise man Solomon is warning his son. We need to warn our children. There's so many important lessons that we can help our children with. We must... Start by creating a standard that we will run, flee, and abhor all forms of evil. We need to be mindful not to make the mistake to sign up our kids or create an environment where they look at friendships as a popularity contest or a desire to be influenced by this club or that club or, as we talked about in this morning's lesson, have a form of arrogance or pride in my accomplishments and I'm going to be around those people. If that's the case, then we are already falling suspect to this command. 
lastly, for this evening, I want to look at the idea that is just so <laughs> relentlessly put in front of us in a variety of different mediums, and that is this idea of canceled culture. And I thought about a couple different ways to look at this, but I thought the idea that Jesus conquered cancel culture would, would bring us all back and ground us to this fundamental fact. That this is nothing new. They have and will continue to come after those that believe in God. And there's nothing we are going to be able to do to stop that. But when they do come for you, have we built a foundation that we can resist and face those thoughts and those attacks where we stand with God? It was so understood by God that this would be a part of his son coming to this earth and the consequences of what would ultimately happen that it's prophesied about. We're going to look at three of these. Psalms 22 verse 6. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. Who is being described here? Jesus Christ, who left heaven's abode to come to this earth to save mankind. And in the Old Testament, it's being prophesied that he would be despised by the people. 22 verse 7. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their head saying, This is nothing new. Isaiah 53.3 He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. All three of those are prophecies that Jesus would be sought after to be canceled. In John 1, 11, we get the confirmation of that. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And the important lesson is, when they realized that they couldn't cancel Jesus to make him be quiet, stop sharing his view, stop the growing of his following they turned to the last resort that they had and that was to crucify him they thought they had canceled him but they did not but what does John 15 verse 18 tell us if the world hates you you know that it hated me before it hated you for our children here and as a good reminder for the adults, the world will never like the light. It is darkness. It doesn't want to be shown its error. And if we find ourselves in a situation where people are trying to cancel us in a variety of different ways, and listen, we're one community Bible study away from the attacks happening to us. They happen on our web postings. You can see people on Facebook and our messages, and we post every single lesson. I think right now, Joseph's lesson on the Sabbath by far holds 
the largest comment rebuke back and forth. But we have had some horribly nasty comments. People who have gone on to Google and tried to write extraordinarily bad reviews about us to cancel us. The question is, how do we respond? I, I petition to all of us that we stand up, that we hold our ground in any of these topics and hundreds of others that we could have put on the slides tonight, and that we may remain steadfast, that God's word is our authority, and that he is directing our paths. So as we conclude this evening, let us think about discussing these topics and more. These are not exhaustive lists. Almost all of these we have more lessons if you want to go and, and look at the details behind them. My only hope is that tonight we have been encouraged. Encouraged to have these meaningful conversations with our children. And I hope the children are encouraged to see that we have a room full of Christians, adults, who have walked the path before you and have stood in the face of these adversities and profess their faithfulness to our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, God the Father and the Holy Spirit, that we are guided by. As we conclude, I'd like to uh, end this lesson where we um, started this um, started with our scripture reading. I feel like this is a good grounding passage for all of us to be reminded what we, what we must be focused on. Romans chapter 14, verses 7 through 9 states, For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose, rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. I appreciate your kind attention this evening. We offer the invitation song for anyone who has heard the word and realizes their life is not right with God and that they want to obey the gospel. We also offer the invitation song for those who uh, may have done something of public nature, or if you need the help of the members here at the congregation, please come forward as we stand and sing the invitation song. <laughs>